0: Today is an important day in human history. It was on this day, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that the Holy Spirit came as God promised He would. In this series, I've learned a lot. I don't know what you have gotten out of this. I've gotten a lot. As I have learned more about this person, the Holy Spirit, He has enabled me to have a deeper connection with Christ and my Father, my Heavenly Father. There are several things that that I hope that you're walking away with. There, There are three categories of things I want to say one more time, just to make sure you're walking away with at least this. And as you study Scripture and as you think theologically about the Trinity, as you Uh, continue in your relationship with God. I'm I'm hopeful this will help you. Uh, Three things about the Holy Spirit to to understand. The first is this, how the Holy Spirit has been revealed. In the Old Testament, He would come upon people. So remember, when you're reading your Bibles, when you're reading the Old Testament, and there is talk of the Holy Spirit. He would come upon people. It's not like He does today. It's not like it was in the time of Jesus, in in the days of Jesus. Because Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, He was God incarnate, the Holy Spirit moved upon Mary and brought and made this this God who is man real. To be in the presence of Jesus was to be with the Holy Spirit, but you had to be in geographical proximity. Now, after the Pentecost, after Pentecost, after this day, post-Pentecost, He's now within us. He lives in us who believe. Second category I, wanted, I want you to walk away with, what the Holy Spirit provides, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and 23. As we are being transformed into the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit according to the Word of God, to the glory of the Father, these traits will become normative in our lives. The benefits of the Spirit, Jesus unpacked these very clearly in John 14 through 16. And then the gifts of the Spirit. Every one of us have been made in the image of God. Every one of us have natural abilities. When you become a disciple of Jesus Christ and you're saved, the Spirit of God enters your life. You're born again. And that Spirit alive in you brings supernatural gifts that you are to use and are able to use to the glory of God. Last thing I want you to remember to walk away with as we finish this series. The Holy Spirit is a person. We've been joking, but it's, it's not, he's not, you know, the cousin Ed of the Trinity, okay? He's not, tell him we'll call him back. I don't know who it is, but just let him know. We're, we're in the middle of something right now. Maybe just answer it and let him listen. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit, all right, personhood has three features, okay? He thinks, he feels, he wills, and he feels. That's all persons. To have personhood, you have to be able to do those things. And remember, He thinks He influences our thoughts, and it is through His work that we have the Word, and now that Word is illuminated to us. He wills. We all have gifts according to His will, it says in 1 Corinthians, and He feels we can grieve the Holy Spirit, and we need to be mindful of that fact. And so when we're we're praying, it's so important that from time to time you pray to the Holy Spirit, talk with the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, who's your mediator— And many times to God the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. But remember, as we talked about last week, they they are distinct but not separate. You separate your body from your soul and you're dead. They are distinct, your soul and your body. So it is with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are distinct but never separate. They they compose and what and and define what is God. Today wanna really focus in on God's presence and what that means. Now, we're going to look at the entirety of human history today, all in a very brief sermon. Some of you, this is going to be your first time maybe to understand human history like this. And I want to encourage you to at least consider what the Bible is saying. Many of you are disciples of Jesus. We're going to look at human history through the lens of Scripture and and what it means that, that the Holy Spirit has come. And how that is changing our world and what it means for us. And to get all of that, we need to understand kind of the scope of it and what happened in that day. So, if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Acts chapter 2 that describes the day of Pentecost and what happened when the Holy Spirit came. Again, just reminders, background. This is exactly 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's a Sunday. Jesus by now has already revealed Himself, He's presented Himself post-resurrection at least ten times. Sometimes just to a handful of disciples, sometimes to hundreds of disciples. And what He was doing is Jesus was proving that He had been raised, that He was alive, and He was also commanding His disciples, the apostles, what He wanted them to do next. And, And He was basically saying to them, He's coming, Holy Spirit, He's coming. And when he comes, Acts 1:8, "You will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea and to the ends of the earth." And so he's getting them ready. And the disciples were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. They had come to Jerusalem, They were gathered together, and they were praying. And then he came. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word, and want you come and read for us. Acts chapter two, verses one through four. This is the day of Pentecost. Read that for us. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Anne. If you would, go ahead and be seated. Now, historically speaking, understanding reality and the scope of reality, this began the time of God's rescue. Now, we understand the world in terms of time and what has happened, why it has happened, what is happening, what's going to happen by what the Bible says. We understand that the Bible is not man's word about God, it's God's word to humanity given by the Spirit of God, and enabled uh, those, as they had utterance, to be able to share with us, thus saith the Lord. And here's what God has communicated to us about reality. The world is not as it should be. We understand the Bible, and we understand reality is in four parts—creation, fall, rescue, and restoration. We are today in the time of the rescue. And it's in this rescue that there have been two— curses that have been reversed. Now God created all things to be in harmony, but because of our sin there has been a fall. There's now brokenness in our world, and God did not abandon us in that brokenness. As a matter of fact, the very day that we sinned and, and death entered our world and we were separated from God, broken within, and, and separated from one another, the Lord provided promise in the hope of the rescue. The rescue provides for us now the means to be right with God, right within, and right with others. Now, in this process, now that Jesus and the Holy Spirit have come, we're now waiting for the restoration. We're waiting for the return of Jesus. Until then, we are commanded to spread and to share what it is God has done to reverse the two curses that humanity has been living under. These two curses have caused the great pain of our existence. And and so during this rescue, there were two curse reverses. One reversal happened on Easter weekend, okay? God healed our relationship with God. The second curse reversal happened on Pentecost. God healed our relationship with one another. The world is broken because we by nature are are fractured. When we sin against God, we broke our hearts, and we now live and are born broken. We don't have to teach our children to lie, we don't have to teach them to hit, we don't have to teach them to be evil. We have to we have to constantly create laws for ourselves to try to hold ourselves back because we are so utterly sinful. Because we're broken within because of that sin, our relationship with God is broken. Our relationship with one another is broken. But God has come to reverse these curses, these two very terrible curses. Both curses were the result of our sin. Both curses required God to show up in a visible manifestation. Now, the first curse took place in the garden. Our relationship with God was broken there. Let's go, if you would, to the very beginning. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. We find paradise. We find what God intended for us and for this world. We find people in a right relationship with God with one prohibition. Genesis 2, beginning in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now we know how this went. They disobeyed God and they destroyed the harmony they had with God. We were made in the image of God. We were given everything we needed to be satisfied. But the the enemy, the evil one told us, you can be your own God. You don't need to trust God. You need to eat the fruit he said not to eat. And then you can have it your way. So verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food... They tried to fix themselves. They tried to fix the situation. They could not overcome it. We cannot overcome our sin because we are broken inside. We are separated from God. We hide from God. We run from God. We don't know what to do with God. God has not abandoned us. Now, sin and the curse of sin has caused us to be driven out of paradise And to have to live under the curse that we're now living under. We live in a broken world. Look in verse 24. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. The fall has destroyed the world that God made. Our sin has caused the brokenness and the pain of this world. Understand, the garden was a geographical area. We human beings were made in the image of God, and we were commanded by God to do two things. One, tend the garden and make it grow. And as the garden grew, we were to multiply. We were to fill the earth with God's glory. That has always been the will of God, that those made in His image would serve Him and fill the world with His glory, that we would glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. But instead of tending the garden and instead of doing what God said, We committed treason. And that sin has created the curse that we now live under. But even in that day, God was gracious to us. Look what God did for them in verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. I want you to notice two things happened in that moment. First of all, the cost of their sin was paid. God said, you eat of this, you die. Rather than killing them there, he provided what the, what theologians call a substitutiary atonement. A substitute that would atone at one, minute, make right their relationship with God through a blood sacrifice. Remember Hebrews nine twenty two. I quote this whenever we receive the Lord's Supper. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. In that day, that very day, There was a death that paid for their sin. God killed an animal, but he did more than that. He he not only forgave them, he covered their sin, their guilt, and their shame so that they were able to walk in this world. We are able to walk in this world with some sense of the fact that God loves us. Now, we know years later Jesus came as God said he would, to pay the ultimate price and make the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 21, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. Adam is what theologians call our federal head. He represented us. And what he did is what we all would do and what we all have done. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And through Adam and through our sin there is a curse, and that curse is death. And now we all stand from the day of our birth broken, separated from God, and and under a curse. But Christ came. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Christ came. Christ became our substitutionary atonement. Christ came, and, and He lived a holy, perfect life the—and He died for our sins. And the only way any of us can be healed within and have a right relationship with God and have a right relationship with other people is this, friends. Listen, you've got to turn away from trusting in yourself. Our world continues to tell us, trust in yourself, believe in yourself, you can do it. You don't need God. You don't need anything. You can do this. Be on your own. Do it your way. Have it your way. And that leads to destruction. It leads to sorrow and pain and separation and the worst within human beings. Repent. We talk about this with three circles. We talk about the fact that God's design was harmony. Our sin has created brokenness. If we want to be made right with God, We've got to repent of self-sufficiency. We've got to believe in the sufficiency of the gospel. We've got to believe in what God has done to provide salvation. And what has God done? Second Corinthians 521. Second Corinthians 521. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. What's that talking about? God took on flesh. His name is Jesus. Born of the Virgin, the Holy Spirit moved upon Mary, and God became incarnate, God in flesh, completely God, completely man. And He lived a holy, perfect life that none of us can live. And then He gave His life as a sacrifice, a substitutionary atonement. See, on the, on the day that Jesus died on the cross, there came a terrible moment when When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, he who knew no sin became sin. He took on the guilt and the shame and the brokenness and the pain of every person who would ever believe. In that moment, the wrath of God was poured out on the Son of God. Why? Why? So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So that the sin debt we owed would be fully paid. So that the just demands of God, and the just demands of God is this, the wage of sin is death. We deserve death. Jesus died in our place. He entered our world, lived the life we could not live, and then He died to take our place. And now all who believe, we are saved. And the curse that separated us from God has been reversed. And now we have a right relationship with God. And this morning we want to celebrate that. We want to celebrate what Christ has done We're going to remember Jesus' sacrifice and recommit our lives to Him. So deacons, if you will come and begin to share the elements with the church. And when I say church, I mean that with a capital C, church. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you've repented and believed in Christ, receive these elements. This is for the church, for the adopted children of God. It's a time to recommit your life to Christ. If you've never accepted Christ, you can't recommit yourself to Christ. So don't receive these elements. If you are a Christian, hold on to these elements. We're going to receive them together. But first I want to explain again what these mean. These elements do not provide salvation. They remind us how we're saved, what God has done. The wafer reminds us that God entered time and space. That God was incarnate. He was in flesh. That He was broken. He was broken for our benefit. And He died. His blood, which is symbolized in that juice, reminds us that He is our propitiation. That big word basically means this. He satisfied the just wrath of God. Let me say that phrase again, the just wrath of God. So many people want God to be our friend. So many people want God just to be this nice old guy in the sky. God is holy, holy, holy. And sin against Him comes at a great cost. Our God hates sin, and His justice has been and will be poured out on every single sin committed. On Jesus Christ. And His blood paid our penalty. That's why He is our Lord. That's why He is our hope. That's why He is our life. But so long as we live in the flesh, we're always going to struggle with temptation. We're always going to struggle with sin. And so we receive the Lord's Supper to recommit ourselves to Christ. To be mindful of what He's done, why He's our Lord, and why we are to obey Him. So here's what I want to invite you to do, as you should always do before you receive the Lord's Supper. First... Ask the Holy Spirit to show you if there's any place in your life where there's sin, repent of it. Recommit yourself to Christ and to his leadership over your life, having bought you with his blood. And then hold on to those elements. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to receive them together. If you would, bow your heads, close your eyes, ask the Holy Spirit to show you any sin, repent of it, and recommit yourself. Father, we thank you for sending your Son. Jesus, thank you for coming and dying for our sin. Holy Spirit, thank you for raising from the dead, as the Bible says in Romans 8:11 that you did. And giving us new life. We remember you, Lord. Having recommitted ourselves to you, we we celebrate your sacrifice that gives us life. If you would, take that away for remember. Jesus broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take and eat. This is my body. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So after the meal, he took the cup. He said, Drink from it, all of you. It's my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. We praise you, our Lord, our Savior, our Christ. We celebrate your sacrifice. And we thank You for reversing the curse and making our relationship with the Father whole again. In Jesus' name, amen. The night Jesus created the Lord's Supper we just received, He also promised that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, would come. And the coming of the Holy Spirit, this was not new news. This is something God said would happen through His prophets. We see in Joel 2, 28, again, we've, we've looked at this text throughout the series, "...and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my Spirit." Also Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six. "...and I will put my Spirit within you I cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come. God promised through His prophets the Holy Spirit would come, and it was the coming of the Holy Spirit that reversed the second curse. The first curse caused us to be separated from God. Our brokenness separated us from God. Having been made right with God through the blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come now to make us right with one another. So the curse that, that plagues humanity is that we are born separated from God, unwilling to submit to Him, and separated from one another. We don't trust ourselves, we surely don't trust each other. That's why marriage is so hard, that's why family is so hard, that's why nations rise up against nations, because we do not trust one another, and, and we know the evil that is within all, and so it is, it has caused our, our societies to, to be fragmented and broken. The second curse came about and was realized at a place called Babel. If you would, go back to Genesis and let's look at verse 10. And I want to show you how our relationship with one another was broken. The curse that came down on our race as human beings So remember, the flood had wiped out all humanity. All that remained were Noah and his sons and their wives. Now, Ham, Shem, and Japheth began to have children. And so, what you see, if you look closely at Genesis chapter 10, is the product of their families. This listing of Genesis chapter 10 is called the Table of Nations. Very important term table of nations what you see listed there are the 70 patriarchal heads of all the nations of the world all the nations of the world came from these three men and their family lines now at the in, the, in that day go to genesis 11:1, the whole earth had one language and the same words And there began to be a migration. So look in verse 2. And as people migrated from east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Now, in order to unify themselves and exalt themselves, they began to build a tower. Here's what they knew. Human beings at the time, they knew they were in trouble. And they knew they, they needed some sort of unifying capacity. They needed to be their own gods. The way that the enemy said that if they ate that fruit they could be their own gods, they needed to now be their own gods. And they needed to build something that showed the world that they were their own gods, that they were in control, that they had the power. They wanted to centralize power and they wanted to create a system where they could oversee the entire world through these nations. So what they do? Look in verse 3. It said, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and Uh, Benjamin for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. We'll be our own gods. We'll, we'll be exalted to the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So what'd they say? We got to get, we got to get our, we got to get our act together. We're starting to migrate. All right, look, forget that. We've got to create a place and a system and a symbol that says, we're God, we're in charge, we don't need God, we don't need anything. All we need is power. So they've built this ziggurat, they've built this massive thing to the heavens. They're they're so high and exalted, it's kind of funny when you look at verse 5. And the Lord — the language here is very clear — came down. To see, they thought they were so high. They thought they were so big and that they were so powerful. Yet God has to come down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. But they are dangerous. And so God, look what he says in verse 7. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God says, let us. You might want to circle that. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Why? Well, verse 6, because behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this, this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Verse 8, so the Lord dispersed them from, from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. This was God being gracious because He knew that if, if these human beings were allowed to, they would create a system that would sooner or later enslave many and create greater destruction because that's what human beings do. Take a cheap course, a cheap survey of human history. Every time there's a great government system, sooner or later, what does it do? It turns on its people, it begins to cause more pain, and it creates destruction. That's what human beings do. God saw this, and He said, this has got to stop now. So the gracious thing to do was to separate us. Now what we have is a world filled with hate. Now what we have is a world divided by nationalities and languages. Now what we have is a curse, a curse of brokenness amongst one another. We see it on the news every day. The world has not been the same since the fall of humanity, but Jesus came to reverse that curse to make our relationship right with God. The world has not been the same since the Tower of Babel, but the Holy Spirit has come to reverse that curse. Now go back to to Acts chapter 2. Look what the Holy Spirit has done. As of Pentecost, there has been a reverse of the curse of Babel. Acts chapter 2, verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, you might want to circle this, devout men from every nation under heaven. Every nation under heaven. What what is he talking about? He's talking about the nations listed in, in Genesis chapter 10. That table of nations. What God has, had dispersed, he's now gathering together and he's about to speak to them. And at this sound, the, the multiplic- multitude began to, came together. What, what sound? Now remember what Anne just read just a moment ago. Look in verses 1 through 4. What's happened? The Holy Spirit has come. Fire has appeared over the heads of the apostles. They are now speaking in languages they don't know. It's freaking everybody out. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak. Look at that in his own language. They weren't babbling. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontius, and Asia, Phrygia and Pomphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belong to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. What is he doing? God is bringing the gospel to these people. To the world, to the nations, the gospel is coming. There is now a supernatural manifestation of the presence of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. To reverse this curse, God, the Holy Spirit, has come. And now He allows and enables many to believe. This gospel that was preached, look at the gospel that Peter preached. Look at verse 22. This is a great synopsis of the gospel. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He looks, you see in verses 17 through 21, he quotes Joel two twenty-eight. He says, what's happening is what God promised. Christ would come to redeem us from our sin, making us right with God. Holy Spirit would come and now reverse the curse that has created death and and brokenness in our relationship with one another. He unified them under His grace. Look in verse 41. So those who received His word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the birth of the New Testament church. This is the reversal of the curse of the nations that happened at the time of the Tower of Babel. What happens to those who believe? What is created to those who accept Jesus Christ and are born again and filled with the Spirit of God? Look in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The gospel, because of the work of Jesus Christ, gives us a right relationship with God. The Spirit of God gives us new life. We are born again, and we entered to the family of God. You'll note and remember, when we were about to receive the Lord's Supper, I did not say this is for a certain person of color. I did not say this is for a certain language group. I didn't say this is for people who are are from a specific geographic location on the planet. It's not what I said at all. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if you have believed in Jesus Christ and you have been born again by the Spirit of God, you are saved. And as God saved people, you are to remember the propitiation of God in Jesus Christ, and you are to live as one. The curse of sin separated humanity. The coming of the Holy Spirit unites us. Look in Ephesians 4, and I'll finish here. In Ephesians 4, we see now what is to happen and what we're experiencing. There is now one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, by grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now we are God's people, and we are called to glorify His name and enjoy Him forever by being one. Look what Paul writes, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Because of the coming of the Spirit of God, we now have peace with one another. We have peace with God, but not if you are not saved. Without Christ, you are on your own and the curse of God remains upon you and you will never have peace in this world. You will never trust God. You will never trust yourself. You will never trust other people. You will always live in a broken existence. And you will die that way under the curse of God and you will remain that way forever. Don't you do it. Get on your knees today and ask Christ to be your Lord. Receive His forgiveness and be united to His body. Many of you are saints of God today. Are you living in this life? Are you living as one in Christ? Are you you contributing to the unity of the body? Are you serving? Are you sharing? Are you doing what God has commanded? You may need to ask for help today. As a community of believers, we're praying for revival. This week, here's what we'll pray. We'll put it on the screen. Pray that God will create a spirit of humility and brokenness among the believers. God will not revive those who are self-sufficient and proud. The believers must come to see their spiritual bankruptcy and utter dependence upon God. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, right now there are some who need to come and get on their knees and ask you to give them new life. And I know they will be saved. Some who need to come and get on their knees before you and say, Lord, I I need to... to engage in this life with a body of believers. I need to be faithful to serve and to honor you with my life. Lord, many of us need your help. Many are facing challenges and trials and they need to come to you today and ask for your help. As leaders, Lord, we need to ask you to revive us. And so, Lord, I would ask right now you would move the hearts of the leaders of this church to take their bulletins and come and pray the prayer of revival we're praying this week. We need you, Lord. Hear us as we pray. Come and pray as we sing.